Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. He's just like holding the snakehead like it's a pistol at his hip, like it's not even a good fish hold. He's got like the khakis on, you know, like Jake from State Farm. And I mean, literally, he might have taken a photo of Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber to the cutting corral and said, hey, give me one of those. And I just had to burst his bubble and be like, that three-way isn't going to cut it, man. Au contraire, Jordan San. Your boy Lance is extremely proficient with his Desert Eagle long whip. Good morning, Degenerate Anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that counts the number of flies stuck in your baseball cap as it's formulating early opinions of you. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte, and we are we are pretty judgy of people's oh, yeah. fishing clothes, but I sense that you have a, a particular angle you're trying to get to with this, this flies in the hat thing. Yes, because yes, we are judgy, and yes, I do. Here, so here's where I got this from, right? A buddy of mine sent me a meme, and I hate memes, but this one just said... Who's better? And it's a split photo, right? And on one side, you've got a tight shot of someone wearing a fishing vest. And on the other side, you've got a cropped shot of a ball cap on, on a dude's head. And it is literally covered in flies. Mm-hmm. Brand, the whole thing is just like covered in flies. And it just got me thinking about how many times I've, I've pretty much seen that dude like at the fly show, mm-hmm. like just walking around in a, in a hat covered in bugs. And I've known a lot of people that stick you know, special flies flies that caught some memorable fish in their hat. And I think that's that's swell when it's like an Adams or two. You know what I mean? Like that's that's yeah, fine. Absolutely. But I question what is the message that you're trying to convey with say a baker's dozen or more in your hat? I mean, so I if we're going to look at this, I think we have to talk about the outsized significance that hats in general play in in the social hierarchy of fishing. Right oh, in, the, in the you, pecking You've given order. this more thought than I. Okay, I've given good. this a lot of thought. Right, like I, I, <laughs> I, I actually wrote a whole piece about this for the Drake Magazine years ago. And since you teed me up, I'm going to read one of the closing paragraphs that I had in that piece. Fishermen wear stained lids as badges of pride and evidence of status. 
the tourist or recent arrival probably has a, a few pheasant tails and hoppers buried on top of the brim. The industry guy always has a clean one, prominently displaying corporate affiliation. But the best hats feel like oil cloth and look like the extensions of the face they shade. And that was beautiful, man. I used to get paid to write stuff back in the day. <laughs> and I think, yeah, me too. And I think that's spot on. Uh, and you don't realize, now that you mention it, how much hats say about you. And and furthermore, like how much the 30 pieces of flair you add to them says. Mm-hmm. When I see a dude, right, in like a camo hat at a gas station in Virginia or Ohio, and he's got the, you know, the gold hook. Oh, the, 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 the clip, the fish hook. Clip. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's why I think we got to, we got to move this out from the fly thing. I think it's a bigger conversation, right? Cause all anglers, like the hat matters, no matter where totally. you are. Totally. I'm not knocking fishing hats. I don't think I own a hat that is not somehow fishing affiliated yeah, yeah. for the record. But, but like when I see the dude with the camo and the, and the clip, I'm like, yep, he knows where the catfish are. For and sure. Like, I want to, I want to hang out with you. Yep. But when I see the young gut in the hat covered with flies, my gut is like sort of like simmer down a little bit, tiger. You know what I mean? Which is arguably, it's hypocritical because while I've never worn a hat with flies stuck in it, like misfit bugs and wounded soldiers are stuck all over like the passenger side of my truck. It's like oh. annoying. Like if you sit in the passenger yeah, yeah, yeah. side, you can't you can't see what's coming because there's like rabbit strips and shit in your face. <laughs> that's a total, like, I think that's a good <laughs> parallel. I think that's a good place to go, right? Because you, I think you can learn a lot about someone by looking at, at the, the lures or flies or whatever they got stuck in their hat or their truck roofs. Uh, mm-hmm. And look, for me personally on this one, it's about functionality, laziness, and just pure disorganization. Right? Sure. Because sure. I might stick a, a fly or, or a small lure, depending on where I'm at, in my hat to let it dry out before I put it away. Like I'm in the middle of fishing. Right. I want to change out. You don't want to put the wet lure or fly back yeah. in the box. Right. So I'll just, I'll just pop it up there. I'll, you know, throw a laser worm or, or, or a small plug on my hat or in the, small. in the visor or the, the roof of the truck. Right. Like when yeah. I'm breaking down at the end of the day, I can see using whatever drying patches are available and hats and truck interiors of trucks both work that way. Function, right? yes. It's yes. all for me. It's again functionality and disorganization. I always have the full intention of putting them back where they belong. Of later, right? Right. I just don't get around to doing it. The flies on the hat, they always come off because either they're they're going to annoy me. I'll, I'll right. stick myself or I'll catch them somewhere. They're they're, they're not going to stay. Not because I'm worried about what it says, just because they're going to irritate me. But the stuff that's in my truck cab, I mean it. It's been there for years or. <laughs> I don't know how long, a decade maybe. And simply because I just haven't gotten around to doing something with it. There's no right. statement that I'm personally trying to make. But if the if the cab of your truck looks like the pegboard in Larry Dahlberg's basement or 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 the 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 free hat you're wearing has three hundred dollars worth of perfectly good flies rotting on it, I do yes. feel like that's an intentional statement. Like you're yes. trying to prove something. Yes. And you sparked something here because my truck is well over 10 years old now and it looks as you've described, but I'm already saying as soon as I get a new truck, I'm not letting this happen anymore. I'm sticking yeah. no flies in the visor. <laughs> you right? say that now, but again, you're going to do it just out of pure laziness. It's going to happen. Or I will buy an official thing to put on the visor to stick flies in. You, is that you better? You go that route too. I don't know. I don't know. Look, I agree though. Like if, you, if your hat says so much about you though, and maybe my, my special visor thing says something. Then, then you have to ask, like, what does a rod vault say? Because I, I know what I think it says, 
which prompted me to take mine off my truck. But I'm going to let you go first. Oh, I, I, told, I bought a Rod Vault when they first came out, whatever that was, like okay. 2009. I, I spent yeah. money. I purchased one because yeah. they are useful when you're guiding every day, which is what I was doing back then. But that same Rod Vault has been sitting in my garage since at least 2012, <laughs> which is right around the time they turned into annoying status symbols out here where I live. Not to mention billboards announcing to everybody who sees your truck, like there's expensive shit in here. If you uh, want to break in, break into this one. That's a good one. point. That's a good right? point. Yeah. And I think I think all this comes down to just age and experience and, and confidence within the, the cultural pecking order, right? Yeah. Like when you're young and you're trying to prove yourself, you gotta. You feel like you gotta make noise. Like you gotta crow and announce. Like I'm here and I belong. And as you get older, I mean, you know who the f- you are, and you don't seek validation in the same right. way. Like I don't. I don't need everybody around me to know. Like as I drive by, I bet that guy fishes. I don't need that. <laughs> you could not be more correct. I think we are see, seeing eye to eye here because when those vaults first came out, I I couldn't get my hands on one fast enough, and I wasn't guiding for anything. All right, and I actually I started with I'm not going to name it, but the vault competitor that was a box, not a tube. You remember those? Uh-huh. And it, li- it literally rusted off the roof of the truck. Like I could poke my finger through it. And then I switched to a vault, but I didn't actually like it because a lot of my saltwater rails didn't fit. And in mm-hmm. no time, I just completely stopped using it. It was more effort to get the rods in the vault than just throw a tube on the back seat. And, w- and when you're guiding, I get it. You don't want to break rods down and rebuild them every single day. Makes and you're using sense. the same rod every day. So right, it, it, exactly. like, it's not changing exactly. stuff out. But at some point, and I guess this is the age thing, I realized how impractical this was for a recreational guy because I store my rods in the garage in their tubes. And then when I'm going fishing, I take them out and build them so I can put them on the roof. And then when I come home, I disassemble them and put them back in their tubes for storage in the garage. And the vault is just creating a very unnecessary step right in the middle, right? But you could not tell this to 26-year-old me. Plus, and then I started seeing them on the roof of, of too many cars, like at these dinky nothing stalker streams around here. And I'm like, I need to take this down. Grown-up me says this is just hurting my gas mileage. It does. It's creating, that, that is, it's creating air resistance, and I am not getting the most out of this this vehicle. That is absolutely <laughs> fact, dude. And and I will say it's hard to – these days anymore, it's hard to find a vehicle without a rod vault mm. on it out here. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, and it's not just trucks and guide rigs anymore. Now they're riding around on Beamers and Audis. Yeah. And – which I'm not, I'm not saying it, but, but – that does remind me, now that we're talking about this, like I, I'm glad you brought this up because I, re- I really should sell the rod vault that has now been sitting unused in my garage for the better part of a decade. And I should probably sell it to someone who drives a more expensive vehicle than I do. I was going to say, it sounds like you'll flip it quick. Yeah. You'll get around and put it on Craigslist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like maybe I should consider the, the character in this week's Smooth Moves because it's mm-hmm. strong chance that uh, this particular person wants a rod mm-hmm. vault on the roof of his Audi. Yes. Joining us to tell the story about this is our good friend, Captain Abby Schuster of Kismet Outfitters on Martha's Vineyard, which, bear in mind, is a small (laughs) island completely surrounded by saltwater and some of the finest saltwater fishing in the world, meaning the the stimmies and the Goddard sedges on your hat aren't particularly useful. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Karen? Oh, my God. Joining us today for Smooth Moves, um, we have Captain Abby Schuster of Massachusetts. Abby, how are you? Great. How are you? 
I, we're good. We're good. We're having a good time. Now, you uh, not only are you, are you a captain and guide uh, of, of the salty variety in Martha's Vineyard, you also um, own a shop out there, Kismet Outfitters. I do. So, you know, we've had a lot of captains and guides on Smooth Moves. We've also had some shop managers and things to get sort of the shop bullshit side. Um, but I think you're the first person that could speak to both. Like your Smooth Move could go from the water to the counter. Yeah, you see a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it all That's a really nice us. way of putting that. <laughs> and and I know the shop hasn't been open that long, but I'm I'm guessing already in, in sort of your first season you've seen plenty. So I'm gonna give you the floor for for a smooth move story here. And and you can go either way. You can go you can go water or on land. Surprise us. Well, they kind of go hand in hand because a lot of the times we guide people on the they'll come to the shop, then we'll guide them. Right. A common question that is very confused. There are trout on Martha's Vineyard. Let me clarify that. But there are. Yeah, there are trout. But it's not like a trout fishery. Like, you don't come to Martha's Vineyard to trout fish, really. Like, you would a lot of other places. I'm, intri- I'm intrigued by this. I had no idea. Are they in There's ponds? There's little brook yeah. trout. Yeah. But they're really? pond. There's no moving water on the vineyard, right? Yeah, in little streams. Huh. My mind just got blown. Right now, I should hang out in Martha's Vineyard more often. I it's think. cool. I mean, there's like pretty hush hush, pretty secret. They're very small, but it's cool to catch. Not a anymore. It's on not. The vineyard. <laughs> Surprise, everyone. I'm going to get murdered tonight. It's been fun. <laughs> but a lot of people are super shocked. They come in. They're like, well, where are the rivers and where are the ponds? Like, why would you ever own a fly fishing store on an island? I'm like, well, actually, there's a whole other side of fly fishing called the salt. And so this one guy in particular who ends up being a great guy, but he came to the shop a bunch. He's talked to me and my brother, asking, like, tons of questions. You know, he's new into this. Great. Probably spent, like, a total of, like, five days of my life talking to him about the trip. <laughs> and he gets to the boat, 6.30 in the morning. So excited, shows up in waders, which like I don't usually recommend for the boat because you know it's a little dangerous. Like, uh, yep, yeah, right. And it's like rough out, you, I mean, don't, you don't want to fall in the rips with no, some waders no, on. No, you don't, yeah. So, uh, already I like knew there was something up, but you know, you can't really like judge anyone. That's what I've learned guiding because oh, sometimes you, can. you should yeah, I judge everyone, yeah, all the time, all day. Well, you guys are meaner than you're I nicer, am. yeah, you're nicer. <laughs> and he shows up and he legitimately thought. We were trout fishing. Like he had his trout flies. He had his three weight. He had everything (laughs) all set up. He was so proud. And I just had to burst his bubble and be like, that three weight isn't going to cut him, man. Like it took hours for him to recover from the shock. It was, I mean, it was like, I just don't know how he didn't pick up on it. (laughs) So I have so much to say, but I'm going to start with this. The way I'd have played that, had I been the guide, would have just been to take him out to the rips and look at his flies and pick out an Adams or some <laughs> such and be like, no, you got to mend it more. Like, you gotta, just let him throw the three weight out there. That's one thing. Okay. But so, all right. So I we just learned something. I had no idea there were any trout on the vineyard. There but are trout. You're telling me that a lot of people on Martha's Vineyard assume that you cater to a trout fishery. And like, oh, one the- yeah, like we don't guide any. Like, there's no guiding trout on the island. It's just right, like, right, right. But yes. Oh, yeah. 
So Just before saying. before we leave this, I got to back up to the guy in question. At what point did he realize you weren't trout fishing? Like, were you already? Oh, we like, were leaving the-, the dock. And and how did that go? Was he like, wait a minute, are there trout out in the ocean? I just like didn't catch. I, I I don't get it either. I mean, he didn't he didn't get teleported to the island. I assume he flew and or took a boat there. It's like all surrounded by saltwater and shit. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, there are two events. There are ponds and streams here, sort of. But like, you're on a boat. Yeah. Second question: Did he catch any fish? Yes. And did that blow his mind? Yes. Yeah, it that's was what bluefish. Doesn't and they are so mean. Yeah, they're and they, fun. And like, they couldn't understand like the teeth aspect, and you know, I think he's. I think I converted. If he him. if he couldn't comprehend the teeth, how did he do with the two hundred and fifty grain line? I'm certain that you probably <laughs> gave him. Actually, it's three fifty. Ah, but... Even better. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he got it after a lot of delicate, nice. Oh God, you just have to. Get it out there. No more nice casting. There you go. Everybody who's now going to clamor to Martha's Vineyard to go trout fishing, they know who to look up. They can look God, up Abby. Please. And she, she will I take just... care of all your Martha's Vineyard trout fishing needs. <laughs> you might catch a striper, a big ass bluefish, but you'll go you'll go trout fishing. We'll go trout fishing. <laughs> you know what's weird though? I really do want to catch a Martha's Vineyard trout now. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I'm sure it's not overly exciting. I'm, it's probably not even good fishing, really. But I'm so into catching, I guess, like, like the wrong things in the right places. If that makes sense. Like you told me not too long ago that there are smallmouth bass in Hawaii, which I, I was did just not yeah, I was just validating uh, an email we got from a listener, and yeah, there are. Uh, and it's not like you're not talking about a Lake Erie type experience. But yeah. I could take you out to catch a smallmouth, a peacock bass, and a bonefish all in the same day. Mm. See, yeah, and that fascinates me. And I, I, another thing I really enjoy is targeting species kind of like within cultures that view them differently. Like as an example, where Abby and I live, a lot of people believe um, a false albacore is only cool if you catch it on a fly. You know what I mean? Like that's a mm-hmm. coveted fly target. And you'll kill yourself up here to get that shot at one. But um, some of the most fun I ever had fly fishing for them was in Florida. Because down there, nobody cares about them. And the captain was just like, yeah, we'll get them all chummed up. And you boys go ahead and throw whatever you want at them. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we, we did, we've done this together. We were on that that media trip years ago. Yes. In the Indian River Lagoon. I don't remember oh, man. How, whenever that was. That was like another lifetime ago. But yes, just like that. If I remember correctly, the snook bite was shit. And the captains were all bummed. And I was, I was having a blast getting my arms pulled out of my sockets by Albies all day long. That was... Everything I love about Albie fishing minus the pressure. And I enjoy that pressure. You know, when you're here and you're in Montauk or North Jersey, like that, it's the pressure is fun of getting on these schools. But sometimes it's just more fun to, to stop fronting and just catch a shitload of fish. You know what I mean? Stop fronting. Stop fronting. Stop fronting. You're always fronting. Oh, so much fronting. <laughs> and I actually know someone who would probably agree with you and, and use that same unfortunate terminology. <laughs> and I believe while his intentions are probably to help unite the fly in conventional worlds. Shit's likely to end up blurrier than ever before. <laughs> Who's that? Your boy Lance V? Mm, my Is favorite. that who you're talking about? Yeah. 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 It, I, man, it has been a minute since we've heard from him, but I'm going to say, give him, I, I feel like I say this every time we hear from him. Give him a chance, though, Don't. because I, I, get, <laughs> I get such a thrill out of continuing to monitor the love and hate mail we get about Lance. And uh, I was recently actually struck by a comment from a listener 
in a Facebook forum that effectively said, if you guys would just stop and listen to Lance, he speaks the truth. From the land, to the boat, to the lake, to the sea, f***ing up the internet with your boy Lance What's up, potlickers? It's me, the internet's most winningest fishing influencer celebrity, Lance Fee. The other day, when I was ripping face with my boy Brandon P and contemplating how awesome I am, I realized it's been a while since I checked in with those losers over at the Meat Beater Fishing Podcast. Turns out, I've been getting a lot of questions. Unfortunately, most of them are pretty stupid and we better answer by your high school guidance counselor who now serves tachos at Sonic. Hashtag tots and life lessons. But have no fear, eternally devoted fans. I got you. I've somehow managed to fish one decent question out of the biker bar toilet buffet that Joe and Miles handed me. This comes from Jordan C., who writes, I've known four different guys by the name of Lance in my life, each one more of a douche than the last. I thought my current supervisor Lance was the king of all douches until I listened to the Guggen Squad fangirl that is Lance Fee. Yet, I'm still interested to know... What does this all-knowing, fish-god, sparkly-boat-driving insta-fella think about flipping monster largemouth on the fly? Great question, Jordan. First off, a clarification. The only thing sparkly about me is my eyes, at least according to your girlfriend. <laughs> my free Nitro Z17, however, doesn't sparkle at all. That's because Monster Energy and Big Wally's Furniture Store paid more Benjamins than you make in a month to wrap my shit in matte black fire. To ensure that statement is accurate, I confirm your wages with your supervisor, Lanch, who is so tax-sharp and visionary, I'm considering hiring him as my junior merchandising assistant. Hashtag corporate ladder. Anyhow, you might assume I think fly fishing is only for kombucha-drinking yupsters who waste their trust funds on pointless crap like hiking boots and books. Au contraire, Jordan-san. Your boy Lance is extremely proficient with his Desert Eagle long whip. I consider it the ultimate tool for asserting dominance. I like to walk right into a gaggle of snooze-sucking flat brimmers with avocado aioli in their beards while they're trying to get their meat tugged. I'll fish right behind them with a Mega Bass Vision 110 on a Destroyer P5. Just when they think their loops can't get any more flaccid as a result of the free f***ing clinic I'm putting on. Just when Jasper or Cody is about to throw one of his soft Dr. Squatch hands at my Axe Body Wash face, I switch over to the fly rod and give them the advanced clinic. Hashtag, oh, you didn't want this one? You see, Jordan, fly fishing was invented so dipshits could act like they're better, smarter, and more skillful anglers than anyone who doesn't fly fish. I'm simply using fly fishing for its intended purpose, but I go the extra mile. So people understand catching one nice fish on the fly is actually a super weak victory because there are 40 other fish in that hole that didn't eat your mob fly. It's like what I think I heard Mother Teresa or maybe Lady J say on a cartoon once. It's not about how much you do, but how much love you put into what you do that counts. Yeah, the truth is I can't stand lance whoever (laughs) whoever re-upped his contract for 2021 needs to be beat with an ugly stick and i'm looking at you sermelli uh i I think i think you were probably responsible for that and i'm also hoping to metaphorically beat you with an ugly stick in this week's fish news fish news that escalated quickly okay so we need to kick off here real quick with a shout out to mr wyatt carroll the winner of our first ever bent contest. Phil, how about a little celebratory sound effect? Surprise us. You did. You crazy son of a bitch. You did. Thank you, Phil. 
Anyway, you guys may recall that we ran a contest that ended last Friday, and uh, all we asked was that you guys tag photos on the Instagram with Degenerate Angler and Bent Podcast. And normally, if something with those tags catches our attention, it would just earn you stickers. But for one week, your use of that tag offered a shot at some sick, sick, bro, hand-poured <laughs> soft plastic swim baits and a hard swim bait painted up however you wanted from our bud Brent Hashimoto of Hashimoto Concepts and Wyatt took Wyatt, the win. Wyatt, Wyatt. Wyatt came through, man. That was yeah. that was fun. And I you know, he had some pretty stiff competition, I will admit. Yes. But I think there's a lesson here for for anybody who's following along and mm-hmm. and maybe thinking mm-hmm. about future contests. And that is the you and I are, are storytellers. That's what we are. That's what we do. That's what we yep. care about. And we are like we're suckers for a good yarn far more than we are for, for yes. straight hero shots. That's yes. just that's not yes. gonna get it done with us. For sure, for sure. And that's not to say that like the the right photo can't take it, right? Yeah. But why it's photo at first glance might not have grabbed you, but you you have to combine it with the story. That's that's what got us here. There's there's some subtlety there. I mean, it, it caught your attention mm-hmm. first because you're like, what is that dude wearing? And clearly, we like to make fun of people's <laughs> apparel, so there's that. We do, but yeah, and and you know, to that end, this this totally could have been uh, in our awkward moments in angling segment. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You see, you see why he's just like holding the snakehead like it's a pistol at his hip, like it's not even a good fish oh, hold. Psh. Yeah, <laughs> but he's 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 got like the khakis on. You know, like mm-hmm. Jake from State Farm, and and he's got this fully pressed <laughs> Aloha shirt. And <laughs> turns out the shot was taken after one of Wyatt's first days uh, when he was student teaching. I'm gonna give I'm gonna mm-hmm. give props to all the teachers out there and say that you deserve time to unwind on the water after dealing with uh, all that you deal with with our, the America's My children. Youth. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there's one thing about this we didn't even notice when we picked Wyatt's photo. The shirt is actually a Pokemon print. So uh-huh. like I didn't Wyatt, see it right away. Yeah, why it nailed it, man? Like he was appealing to you with the snakehead. He hit me with the teacher angle, and then he was also courting Phil with the Pokemon love. He nailed the <laughs> trifecta. He did, and furthermore, he 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 said he had no pliers or multi tool that day, <laughs> so he couldn't get the hook out of the fish. If you catch snakeheads, they got a real hard mouth, so when you hit them good, like. It's in there. So he didn't know what to do. So he just threw the fish on the floor of his car with it still attached to his line, <laughs> to the end of the rod, and just took care of it at home. And I'm going to assume there were some fish tacos happening that evening. Anyway, uh, you can see Wyatt's photo on my or Miles' Instagram pages. Uh, we posted them up last week. They are still there. Uh, thanks again to Brent for supplying the goods for this contest. And yes. congrats to Wyatt, who tells me, uh, Wyatt says he's leaning towards a pumpkin seed pattern on his lore and may even incorporate the Bent logo. Hmm. So how about that? I'm sure we can license it to him for a small fortune. I mean fee, <laughs> small fee. Or just do it. It's okay. Do it. I got I got one more quick but very important update before we get into news this week. Our really good friend and colleague, Ryan Callahan, has just launched season two of his show, Cal in the Field. If, if you yes. don't already know Cal, you should. He's the director of conservation here at Meteor. He hosts our hunting and fishing conservation podcast, Cal's Week in Review, which we're both big fans of. He's also one of the best outdoorsmen I know and just... He's genuinely an all-around good dude. Good, lots of fun. It's Love not Cal. an act. Yeah. It really is. Nope. So anyway, season two of Cal's video series just launched on uh, the Meat Eater YouTube channel. Go watch it. 
for the first episode this week, he's trapping grizzly bears with Idaho Fishing Game. And next week, you can watch him roping invasive rainbow trout on the South Fork of the Snake River. It's good stuff. Check it out. Anyway, without further ado, it is time for news. And, and quick reminder, this is a competition. Neither Joe or I know what the other is bringing to the table. And at the end of it are well, well coiffed and, uh, and smart, <laughs> smart engineer Phil is going to hop in and declare who is the winner and who is the saddest of sad losers. Speaking of sad losers, I'm still a little bit bummed about last week, Phil. I mean, really? He won with Pokemon? <laughs> I was going to say, we don't know what the other guy's bringing to the table, but we I know how to win Phil now. You, you throw a Pikachu in there, you got it. I will find a way to bring Pokemons into every news. Uh, <laughs> Joe gets to lead off this week, and, and I'm just hoping it does not involve Japanese cartoon characters. Joe, take it away. No, it does not. Uh, and I, I'm starting out this week with a story from ForTheWin.com, which I love. You take the science journals. I will take For the Win. Uh, but this is pretty cool. And we are heading off to the Gulf Coast for this one. Headline, angler makes rare catch of prehistoric fish while surf fishing. Okay. And I read, a fishing guide from Michigan was surf fishing on an Alabama beach when he hooked something big that puzzled onlookers about its identity. Even the angler was baffled, thinking a shark was at the end of his line. Instead, when David A. Rose finally pulled the fish close to shore at Orange Beach after a 40-minute battle, he and others discovered it was a gulf sturgeon. It was a rare catch of the prehistoric fish, which is listed as threatened. This is never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined landing such a rare species ever, Rose told for the win. While I knew there were anadromous sturgeon along the northwest coast, it never even crossed my mind that there were this species swimming about the Gulf of Mexico. So, a couple things here. Thing one, the range of the Gulf sturgeon has, has shrunk immensely. Considerably. Right? Historically, yeah. yes. It's, it's crazy. Historically, these sturgeon ran all the rivers that dumped into the Gulf from Florida across to Texas. Uh, but everything from, from dams to contaminants to overfishing has reduced their range to just a couple river systems, basically between the Florida Panhandle and the east side of the Mississippi Delta in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. So very rare to just see one, let alone catch one. Thing two, I've known Dave Rose for years. Really? And when I read this, I was like, David A. Rose Holy shit, man. I know that guy. I know him. Dave is a writer that I worked with for a very, very long time. Um, and we even ended up on a few media trips together back in the day. In fact, he helped me spool some reels on an Arkansas trout trip we were on, and that was like 2009. And it turns out he caught the sturgeon on some of the freebie line we acquired on that trip. <laughs> Oh man, I so I, I did see. I have to admit, I saw this story. I'm glad I didn't pick it up because you clearly have the in with it. But you you know the dude. That's great. I know the dude. So I heard. I I I saw the headline, but I didn't dive into it till it was closer to news time. And I read it. I was like, David Rose, what? So I so I, I called him up. Right. So what this for the wind story doesn't tell you uh, is that Dave is admittedly not salty. Right. He's a Northern Michigan guy. He's an ace in Sweetwater and on frozen Sweetwater. But when I spoke to him, he was like, yeah, man, like, you know, I, I don't do salt, right? Like, I'm an, I'm an idiot in salt water, right? So that makes it more fun. So the real thing Dave said when he first saw this fish was, what the f 
is that? And then, <laughs> this is in the story, Dave says, an onlooker and I both glanced at each other with a puzzled look and said out loud in unison, a sturgeon? But Dave told me the onlooker said, what the hell is that thing? Followed by a f- sturgeon? So those are the real quotes that did, that did not make for the win. That rings more true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's Orange Beach. I love it down there, but like, come on, man, it's Orange Beach. Like, yeah. you know, vacation land. So, Dave caught this thing on a freaking pompano rig. Really? Baited with shrimp, yes. And if you don't know anything about pompano, they're small. Like they Tiny. have a relatively small mouth, right? So we're not we're not talking about big hooks here. But seeing how rare Gulf sturgeon are and how very, very federally protected they are, what I wanted to know um, was if Dave was worried. And yes, he was. And he says, even though he knew nothing about this, like he knew the rarity of it, he figured that out. And he's like, my priority was keeping that thing's head in the water. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he did not want to make a big scene out of it. And of course they got, I mean, just a couple, two, three quick snaps and they sent the fish off. And he was worried about the well-being of the fish so much that he didn't even really properly measure it, which he says in hindsight, he should have. Um, even if it was just like, you know, cutting a piece of mono and, mm-hmm. and measuring that at home later, he didn't have a tape or anything. He wasn't expecting this, but later he looked up the record. And according to Dave, the record on the books for Gulf sturgeon weighed 84 pounds and he and others estimate his fish measured over six feet and weighed in the neighborhood of 120, 130 pounds. Now, I don't know, nor does he, if like a, an IGFA release record is even feasible because you're not supposed to knowingly target. Right and mess with these sturgeon. But I mean, just like for posterity's sake, an official measurement, you know, would have been cool. Like theoretically, Dave might've caught the biggest hook and line golf sturgeon ever. Right? I mean, yeah, but Dave strikes me as the type of guy, one who wouldn't care that much about it. And two would understand that the only reason there isn't a record for that is because by the time IGFA was doing records, those fish were decimated. Like, yeah, Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's I, a hollow not, record. If he were to do oh, that. Totally. And he totally. No, Dave's no, he's absolutely not chasing that. In fact, and this is this is why I love Dave. He told me like his favorite thing about this, because I mean, remember, this is a dude from northern Michigan down there on vacation, absolutely, right? He's just yeah. down there in his yeah. shorts catching catching some rays, right? Where is he his wearing his Pokemon about, Aloha shirt? <laughs> no, 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 no Pokemons. Uh, but he said his favorite thing about this and all this attention is that, and he's right, it's like the quintessential fishing story. Like you just totally put bait on a hook. And you cast it out, and you just absolutely never know what's going to eat it, even when you think you do. So he, I mean, he's down there on vacation, doesn't do much saltwater fishing, and he's like, "All I wanted was to catch a pompano, and I, I still haven't caught one." So like, he still has never caught a pompano. <laughs> oh man! So that's I, great. I was, I was so blown away. Yeah, I was like floored when I saw it was Dave. So cool story. That is beyond once in a lifetime. You know, it really is, and. Clearly, Dave is our kind of people, and uh, and and my next story is is also about our kind of people, though in a very different way. And before I get to the actual story, I want to talk about. I'm going to start out with a shout out to to a listener of ours, Jared Leprevost, I believe is his name. A few weeks back, Jared sent an email titled "Fishing and Fluid Mechanics," which made sense because he was responding to a, a Philistine segment I did about wild thoughts from wild places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And and in that book, David Quammen, I, I talked about David Quammen's ability to make even fluid mechanics interesting because he's such a yeah. good writer. Well, that resonated with Jared, who sent, who sent the email. And on that email, he attached a paper he'd written in his junior year of college for a fluid mechanics course. And that paper 
studied drag force on crankbaits. And no in way. The, Good yeah, for yeah. him. Yeah. In the abstract. Cool. In the abstract to it, he wrote, although drag force isn't as common as the force of gravity, it is still very present in everyday life, especially when you are an angler. Fishermen experience drag forces not only when they drive their boats, but every time they cast their rod. And I'm just giving props right now to Jared for turning an engineering assignment into an excuse to go fishing. Yeah. Right? Because that's what that was. And it was, he did a great job. I I hope he got a good grade on the paper, but I I can see through what he's doing there. He's like, how do I, how do I turn this into a, into an excuse to go fishing for, for credit? I did a report once on a dude who owned a fly shop, which meant like to do all the research. I just went and sat in the fly shop, (laughs) shot the shit with the guy, like, come on. And and I guess I got to give props to you on this too, but I want to call out Jared because he's, he figured out much earlier in life than than myself that that science and math are applicable to really cool shit, right? If mm-hmm. I had been if I'd been smart enough to approach science classes as opportunities to better understand principles of fishing, you know, I might have tried to calculate something other than the minimum quantity of work necessary to achieve a passing grade. You know what I mean? Like that that was really the only <laughs> equation I was working on. By the time I figured out science was not just applicable but central to the things I love to do, like fishing. I was just, I was way too old to start on a new career path. Like that, that ship has sailed. Yeah. But yeah, the actual subject of, of my first story is not. This story comes from the Fond du Lac reporter, but it has nothing to do with sturgeon. Just saying that because we've been hitting <laughs> Fond du Lac and sturgeon really hard. Jared Ott is an 18 year old senior at Fond du Lac STEM Academy. Now Jared's from Wisconsin. So, you know, he's dunked a, a few worms in his day. Couple. Yeah. Once, once or twice. And in fact, that's exactly what he was doing while brainstorming his senior project. The assignment was to come up with a solution to a real world problem. So Jared went to the local lake to fish crawlers while like noodling on, on the big assignment. Cause what else you can do? That's where you do your sure. best thinking. And he started getting frustrated because the fish were short striking and, and stealing all his bait and boom, that right then is when inspiration hit. Jared decided that he was going to design a fish hook that would make it more difficult for fish to remove the worm without getting pinned. When his school Hmm. got shut down due to COVID, Jared had time to solder together a bunch of different designs and beta test them. In other words, Jared spent much of the COVID lockdown telling his parents he was working on a school project while going fishing. So again, good for him. Well done, Jared. Yeah. Super smart kid. (laughs) <laughs> the file design that he, he came up with looks like a miniature J hook attached about halfway up the shank of a standard bait hook. So picture, you know, your standard bait worm jig head hook. And then about halfway up the shank, there's a little mini J hook soldered right there. And okay. according to, according to Jared, the design quote secures the worm better. So the fish can't take it as easily and have to fight harder, which means getting more of a tug on the line. And I got to admit, I don't actually understand that quote very well. Like yeah. the issue that you were trying to solve was not feeling the strike, but keeping the worm on the hook. And, and, and then I look at the photos, I'll be straight. I'm not totally sold on this product, but just, I haven't fished them. I've just looked at the pictures and Jared seems like a pretty smart guy. And he claims that the worm keeper hook has performed very well in extensive testing, both for him and a bunch of his fishy buddies who he gave him to. In fact, he's so confident in this design, he has already patented it. Kid's 18. He's already well, that, got his no, own fishing hook And that's patent. smart. Of course, like, dude, 
you got to patent everything just in case nowadays, right? Like I, I get that. I have, I have some questions here. Okay. Well, I got is one there, more, one more, more thing. Go I got, ahead, go I'll, I'll be done secondly. Not surprisingly, Jared got himself a scholarship to Michigan tech where he plans to study mechanical engineering. Uh, he also told the Fond du Lac reporter that he hopes to license his hook to tackle manufacturers in the near future. But so far, None have ponied up for the rights. Uh, if if anybody listening wants to reach out to Jared <laughs> and see about buying some of these direct, you can find him. You can shoot him an email at ot, that's O-T-T, fishinghooks at gmail.com. And if you do and you buy some, let us know how they work. Because, I'm I, again, I'm skeptical looking at the photo, but I'm curious. Add the promo code BENT for 0% <laughs> off. Uh, so, okay, did he get the scholarship because of these hooks? No. Like, no. was like, no, he's just no, no. Crazy okay. smart so engineering kid. Smart. So, all right. So, I'm picturing like a, a, a J style bait holder hook, like yep. a standard bait holder hook. Yep. And then up the shank, soldered. Now, is it back to back or are the points on the same side of the hook? The There's points like another are fully little, lined like, up. The points are fully lined up. Yep. Okay. And that's like a little egg hook kind of soldered to the shank of a bigger J hook. But it's not an egg hook. It's, it's a, it, it looks like a mini J hook attached to the main J hook. Okay. That's fine. It doesn't have to be an egg hook. Yeah. I, I get it. I'm picturing this in my head. I was wondering if they were opposing, like nope. the one on the back, the point went one nope. way. Because here's the thing, right? And, and again, I feel like there's pieces that I'm missing, but there, I feel like we're talking about two separate things here. This hook, I'm certain, keeps a worm on the hook better. Yes. That's just like, there's two points. There's two hooks. You're pinning it on two hooks. Yep. But short striking, at least in my experience, whether it's a bluegill or whatever, happens because the fish are smart enough or wary enough to only pick at whatever part of the worm is wiggling and overhanging the hook. Agreed. So while this this may stop them from pulling it off, it, it can't make them commit to just hoovering the whole worm down. So I'm a little unsure of how it equates to more fish pinned. Worm on the hooks more securely, 100%. But if the little some bitches are just nibbling at the end of the worm and they're not vacuuming it, what, what I, I'm, that's, that's where I'm a little, mm. I'm, I'm with you. And maybe, maybe that is the, the genius of this is just, it's a little, a little tougher to steal the bait, but that doesn't mean like if you got those, those little dinkers or, or the wary fish that aren't taking it in, I don't think this is solving that problem. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I mean, look, I wish them the best. I, I also think it's one of those things, like there are so many fishing products, like Lord knows we see, and we just saw one that was sent to us. We won't go into it, but like it it, it, it comes out and it seems like this thing that is going to be embraced by all fishermen. But really, if you're not dunking night crawlers and, and whole night crawlers at that, right? Not breaking off little pieces like you normally do. Like this is not serving that many people. Yeah. Right? Okay. But again, if this were, I, I will say this: if this, if some fishing tackle company were were sending me a press release about this, I wouldn't look twice. The reason this is a cool story is because Jared right. is an eighteen-year-old kid who was on COVID sabbatical and came up with this as his senior project, and that is why I like this story. I don't think it's going to set the fishing world on fire. No. And you know what? You inadvertently you just you just brought up a, a sort of a roundabout point that is or can be a big problem with fishing tackle in general. This could be the, the the smartest thing in the world, right? And this kid put a lot of time into it, and bravo to that. 
if you can get a VMC or a Gamakatsu to go in on this, you're made. But this is also the kind of thing that can be picked up by the as seen on TV people. Mm -hmm. And then right away, all your hard work is now skewed into this is a gimmick. Like it matters. So there are so many fishing products I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen where you're like, if that was Rapala selling that to me and not this company, it'd be the greatest thing in the world. I think that's fair. I think I think you're exactly right. And there are, there are cautionary tales littered along the roadside of fishing history that we could point to for yeah. that. I mean, I, I always think of it like, you know, the banjo minnow and the flying lure. Yep. Like, we like to make fun of them because they're these as-seen-on-TV products. If Strike King dropped the flying lure, it would like, it would have just been a whole different connotation. So if I, I, I wish him the best, man, and I hope that if he licenses this out, like he does it with the right company who will 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 make it work for him Agreed. you know what i mean i, so, I hope it works yeah yeah i, I, just I like do the too story. i do too o'reilly auto parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road o'reilly auto parts offer friendly helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs if you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I'll go from making uh, better connections with worms to making love connections. How about that? <laughs> I like it.
There you go. Then this is not a weighty story, though it is going to help, uh, I don't know, maybe some of our young single listeners, maybe. And frankly, the information here is also, it's stuff that I think you and I could have given um, just from personal hard-earned experience. But everything these days has to be picked apart as it relates to social media, right? So this story is from thetab.com, which is a UK-based site that describes itself as a site covering youth culture and student culture run by journalists who like being first, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And the journalist that wrote the story I'm covering, the journalist that wrote the story I'm covering here is Katie Thacker, and Katie is apparently extremely perplexed by why men feel using fishing pictures as their profile photo on Tinder is a smart thing to do. Right. And she goes, she writes, right. I have many, many, many questions for the men of our world. Why must you leave the toilet seat up? Now, remember, this is from the UK. So I love this one, though. It made me laugh. Why do you insist on spreading your legs as far open as possible on public transport? And then I started thinking about it and I'm like, dude, yeah, like dudes riding the subway. Why are you always like, dude, that's a whole PSAs on the subway about that. When I was, when I was in New York, there were like banners (laughs) above the subway seating that said like, dude, stop the spread. That was before COVID. So it didn't have the same connotation of like, you know, full on spread eagle. Oh yeah. I never thought about it. I never thought about it until I read this. And so she goes on, why do you feel the need to mansplain my literal degree to me? But honestly, not a single one of these is more pressing than why on earth men feel the need to include pictures of them holding a fish in their Tinder profile picture. Could you really not have just gone for that picture of you in a bar or in your mate's garden? God, even a Snapchat filter at this point, right? (laughs) So she says, fueled by confusion, semi-disgust, and a desire to answer the pressing questions of 2021, I swiped right for every boy with a fish pick I could possibly find and asked them why. Here's what they had to say for themselves. And spoiler alert, in true male fashion, these are like the shittiest answers ever. Like they are pretty much the shittiest, most unsatisfying answer. So I, there's a ton of them because like she really went for it and like interviewed a ton of these dudes. So I'll break down just a couple. She started out with Joe, who looks like the lead singer of Blur Circa 94 holding a carp, right? And remember, Katie is just kicking off the, the messaging with the same question. Why did you choose that photo for your profile? And this guy starts out, what an interesting question. Then follows up with, because I like to fish and I think it's a decent photo. And then when she pressed him further, asking if he thinks he's the star of the photo or the fish, he comes back with, I think the fish gives the photo an agenda. Like, what the hell does that mean? What does that even mean? What's the agenda? Like, I don't know if we're trying to be like smart there. Yeah. Okay. Then, then <laughs> I don't know. Then we have another Joe. And apparently there's a lot of guys named Joe on Tinder that like use fish photos. That's just a, a side note. So this Joe is mean mugging with a Wells catfish. And, and he looks like he's in, in sync in the nineties with the spiky hair. And um, Katie says pretty much all his photos included fish. And he just said, well, I'm always fishing and I don't uh, have a lot of photos without fish. So, I believe a, that answer. I can, I believe I can that relate. Answer. I can relate. Most pictures of me uh, have fish in them. Uh, but B, I'm also not trying to date people on Tinder. So I could see how this would not work on Tinder because if you're always fishing and have no photos without fish, like the ladies might assume you have no time for them and or no friends. So yep. that's like another knock against too many fishing pictures. 
uh, 19-year-old Ewan posing with a carp, and this is so sweet and personally relatable, he explained to her that fishing is just a hobby for him right now, but he took a fisheries management course in school and is hoping to turn fishing into a career. And boy, this takes me back because like my first nationally published article happened when I was still in college. And I remember bringing that magazine to Clash and I was like, I was so proud. I was like, this story I wrote about striped bass and saltwater sportsmen, <laughs> guys, look. And like all the girls in my journalism classes were like, wow, cool. So you and good on you for the career goals, but like <laughs> don't play up your future in fishing as a selling point for your dateability. You could, you could trust me on that. And uh, finally, my personal favorite, a dude named Ashley, is posing with a big carp, tells Katie, well, I recently lost a lot of weight, and the only recent pictures I have of myself are fish photos, but then comes back to her, and he's like, how come all your pictures, you're posing with wine? Mm. <laughs> and she's like, you know what? He's got a good point, and maybe I need a new <laughs> hobby. So just a little expose. Like, we've always joked about, like, the, like the, this has come up elsewhere, but I feel like she actually took the journalistic deep dive and is like, I am going to swipe right, and I am going to ask all these dudes. Um, and none of them had particularly satisfying answers. I mean, I, I disagree. I think I think the, that honest answer of, well, I don't really take pictures of myself except when I have when I catch a fish. I think that's totally legit, and I can relate to that. So it's it may not it, be yeah. satisfying. It may not answer some like deep existential question she wants to understand about dating particular men, but it is honest. I, no, I, no, no. And it, it, it is honest. I just have to look at it like, like, you know, we're not out there looking, we're not on Tinder, right? So I have to look at it no. from a perspective. Like if you're on Tinder trying to meet girls and, and I guess, I don't know about you, but I've also had some friends who at some point since I've known them were like, dude, I met this girl. She fishes her ass off. This is awesome. And then it never works out. Like they think that they want that, but then like it doesn't work out. So it's like if you're going for somebody to fish with, maybe. But if that's not your MO, I don't know, man. It's like nothing but fish pictures on Tinder. I, look, I, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not going to pretend to be. But I'll say one thing like this. And I'm dating myself because uh, – I didn't ever do much online dating. There was like a half a second where I was on Match.com, and it resulted in the worst <laughs> dates of my entire life, so I quickly got <laughs> off of it. But I had a friend who who did something similar, but it was very thoughtful and very intentional. Every picture he put up was of him with a fish or with something he'd hunted. And I was like, dude, is that really like smart strategy? And And he was very honest. He's like, look, this is a huge part of my life. I love to hunt and fish. I want to be yes. honest about this and I want to find, I don't, I don't care if, if whoever I end up dating, I don't care if that woman wants to participate in these with me or not, but I, I want, I don't want to false advertise. This is who I am and this is what I do. And it just kind of cuts through some of the BS and weeds out folks who are going to be annoyed by that. I'm like, Fair. I get you. Fair. That is the strategy too. That's strategy too. So I, <laughs> my last story, uh, Here's the only connection I can find. We both we both went with some maybe some low hanging fruit this week and 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 I've been low, yeah. I've been getting pretty serious for a while and I'll get back to serious stories I'm sure next week but I felt like everybody needed a break from all the bummers <laughs> that I keep talking about. So this one this this one is kind of a science story but it don't 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 have high hopes. So a while back we we talked about longfin damselfish and how they develop relationships with certain shrimp to help their algae yeah. gardens. Yeah, yeah. Remember that one? And and yep. that that particular case works out well for all the parties involved. Uh, the the shrimp get protection. The fish get gardens that are well fertilized by the shrimp poop. That's called a, a symbiotic relationship. 
And sometime after we ran that story, I was looking up other symbiotic aquatic relationships, and I stumbled on a story about sea cucumbers and star pearlfish, which claimed that these two different organisms have a symbiotic relationship as well. But the details struck me as odd. I do not have a delicate way of, of, of putting this, so I'll just be blunt. Star pearlfish seek out crevices in which to live, and they are known to favor the anuses of sea cucumbers. <laughs> According to National Geographic, a pearlfish will find a sea cucumber bum by smell and then dive in head first, quote, propelling itself by violent strokes of the tail. Now, the sea cucumber does have the musculature to close down its anus, but only for so long because sea cucumbers breathe through their butts. So the pearlfish, if it gets thwarted, just has to wait it out and then wriggle on in. And, and despite how that sounds to us, anthropomorphizing, biologists once believed this relationship to be mutually agreeable. And, and they had a couple of reasons for thinking that. First, it seems like pearlfish may have evolved to coexist with cucumbers. The inside of a sea cucumber may be like a, a safe, protected hole to hide in, but it's not hospitable. Sea cucumbers produce saponin, a toxin that kills most aquatic creatures, which is why other fish don't exploit the same uh, gap, shall we say. In fact, sea cucumbers would succumb to their own internal poisons if they didn't also produce a kind of anti-venom. Pearlfish, on the other hand, just produce mucus. Lots and lots of mucus. Six to ten times more mucus through their skin than the average fish. And this mucosal membrane acts as a barrier against the saponin and also provides a natural lubricant. Another reason... Biologists once thought that cucumbers must be benefiting from hosting the pearlfish is that they have the capacity to expel them. Sea cucumbers can spit out their, their respiratory trees, a.k.a. their lungs, a.k.a. the crevices where pearlfish hide when they're threatened, and then grow new ones. Like, they're capable of, of coughing up their lungs and growing new ones if they have to. But they don't do this when infiltrated by pearlfish, right? So... For those reasons, it seemed like there's got to be something in this for the sea cucumbers. Relatively new research, however, has found this is not a mutually agreed upon relationship. In, in, in many cases, it's, it's what's known as a commensalist relationship, meaning that just the pearlfish is getting something out of this. But, you know, at least the sea cucumber kind of like puts up with it. Pearlfish gets something out of it, but oh man, you're, I feel really you're making me feel really sad. For oh, it, get, it gets worse. It gets worse. One specific type of pearlfish goes full on parasitic, and actually has been known to consume the sea cucumbers' gonads from within. Moreover, in certain circumstances, the cucumber innards can get pretty crowded. Pearlfish are generally territorial and solitary, so in most cases, just one pearlfish will reside in a sea cucumber at any given time. But in rare cases. Perhaps when sea cucumbers are scarce or for spawning reasons, multiple pearlfish will cohabitate inside a single cucumber. One researcher found 15 pearlfish inside a cucumber and was quoted as saying, if indeed the 15 fish entered for sexual reasons, one cannot help but think of the orgy that must have taken place inside the sea cucumber. End biologist quote. And that, my friend, concludes today's segment on things you never wanted to know about sea cucumbers. Yeah, I can't. I, I mean, I have so many jokes, but they're all so inappropriate that so I can't. So inappropriate. I can't. 
I can't. There's children listening to this show. What is a pearl fish? Lo- I don't know what that is. It like, like, looks like, like a little mini is- eel. Like the, the kandiru, like the kandiru catfish. <laughs> kind of like the kandiru, yes. <laughs> yes. So you, if you got those two together, you'd have a terrible time. <laughs> right? Awful. You get hit from just all, all angles. All, all orifices, yeah. I, I look, I don't, I, I, again, like there's so many things that come to mind that it would, I cannot, I can I will not. Uh, but I will say, despite how awkward and icky that is and, and how truly, like, I just, I, while you were saying it, I was thinking about like a poor sea cucumber and hearing that, that arms of an angel song they play over the sad dogs commercial. Yep. You know what I mean? Like when they're trying to, yep. like, no, it's and very, I just, I feel, McLaughlin I feel should bad know that, about this. It, it it already doesn't have much going on. Like it's already a sea cucumber. You know what I mean? Like it's already like a pretty kind of miserable existence. You know what I mean? Uh, I so like, man, really piling that's, on. That's t- that's terrible. That is terrible. Um. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Phil, feel free to if you want to add to the sea cucumber butthole uh, relationship. Maybe your jokes would be more appropriate. I don't know, uh, but we'll we'll end feeling terrible for sea cucumbers. We'll hear from Phil, and then we'll uh, we'll make you guys feel terrible for one of our listeners in uh, awkward moments in angling. Miles, you seemed almost ashamed to be sharing that last story, but you shouldn't be because you are the winner this week. And as someone who used to sling tachos at Sonic for a living, I have a message for Lance V. Hey, Lance, go f- cherry limeade with your fry sauce and put it in pearlfish mucus. That felt good. Why don't you take a picture of the last longer? All right, on the block in awkward moments. We've got Mr. Pavel McGlave. And before we even get into this stellar photo, I've got two notes right off the bat here. One, I'm calling it the most awkward photo that we've had yet. The and most? We've had, I'm calling it the most. And we have had some very funny, very awkward photos. But in my opinion, this one transcends them because in no way do you need to be an angler to find this shot awkward, mm, right? Okay. Like okay. any human being on the planet would look at this and go, ooh, that's awkward as hell. Doesn't matter if you fish or not, which is ironic because it's also the first photo we've ever used that does not contain a fish, nor was it even taken on the water. Yeah, it's not a grip and grin, <laughs> right? Like the whole nope. idea of this segment was to make fun of grip and grins, which which might leave you and, and kind of leaves me wondering how the hell this photo even qualifies. But Let's just say that this photo proves beyond any shadow of a doubt 100%. Pavel's passion for angling has been a defining characteristic since he was very, very young. Mm-hmm. And then he was willing to publicly assert his love of fishing, <laughs> no matter the social <laughs> repercussions that might come. Who cares? Because you see, <laughs> Pavel sent us his fifth grade school photo. You remember fifth grade? Because mm-hmm. I, oh, I yeah. do. Yeah. Those, those those were some heady years. Like they were. you were just you were just starting to figure out the that social pecking order, and you know we were all starting to learn like who who was the bully and who was getting bullied, right? And and, yes. and when I'm looking at this photo, I, I'm I'm pretty <laughs> sure I know that Pavel was intimately familiar, shall we say, with bullying. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'd have to agree. And I know this because I would have been the asshole that bullied him. Okay. <laughs> However, in fairness, I got mine later because here's a fun tip, kids. When you go to high school in suburban New Jersey and it's time for archery and gym, do not bring your own bow. Just use the garbage bows provided by the gym teacher. Because nobody, and I do mean nobody, will be talking about how cool you and your Matthews are at lunch. Okay? So in fifth grade, I probably would have bullied Pavel a little bit, but I got mine later by showing my outdoor enthusiasm. Okay? See, and I would have, I would have like had solidarity with Pavel, but I wouldn't have said it out loud because I wouldn't want you to beat me up. <laughs> Fair. Okay, anyway. Let, let's get into this photo, and we're going to start with the background here because it's very 90s, and in fact, it harkens me back to my kindergarten class photo in which I'm sitting on a carousel horse, right, with a pastel-colored drop cloth behind me, mm-hmm. and I'm crying. It's a classic family photo. I'm very upset. Um, and then I remember, I don't know if you if you did this, right, but in, in, in my elementary school, um, while every kid was shot on a plain background, you had to specify what the background would look like in the hard copies. And you could get like mm. prisms and geometric patterns and junk. Oh, but no. my my mom my mom was always like, hell no, you will get the soft blue, right? No, we, did, we didn't back- have any of that where I went to school. No, it was, it was you no just choices. Had the soft blue and that was it. Yeah, no. Okay. No we had we had we had choices. Okay. But the backdrop and and <laughs> of, of Pavel's school photo. It's on. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. Oh no, man! Like I think it's. I think it's loosely based on Jurassic Park. Like that's what I see when I look at this. Like the actual. The actual background has a jungle theme going on. There are right. these dense ferns and and some purple flowers. And I got. I hope that it's what you described, right? I hope this is one of many shitty digital background options that the kids could hmm. pick from because it's bad. I hope everybody didn't have to have that one. Yeah, it's like it, you know, you know, it looks like it looks like the predator's body when he has his cloaking device activated. Like the jungle's about to come alive and take Pavel. That's totally, a, that's what I think of. Totally, right? no, poor Pavel's about to get taken by by the predator for sure. Yes. and there he is, right, little little Pavel, and he's leaning against an extremely fake boulder with uh, yes. some some fake flora scattered on it, and it makes me think. That's what I think when I look at this, that all the kids had to be shot in the same background, right? Because those props seem so specific to that background. And I guess that, like, you know, if mom and dad hated the the jungle theme, then it was kind of like tough shit. But that seems weird. Well, yeah, no, but in some cases, like 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 the unicorn in kindergarten, I had no choice. You were sitting on yeah. the unicorn. So if your parents hated you on a unicorn, tough shit. Like you yeah, were that's, on a unicorn. And that's what I think is going on here. Or whatever it was. Uh, but, but see, that's what I thought. But Pavel, he says no, because I followed up and he he told me at his school, you could choose your background. So this oh. was his choice, which makes it cooler, right? So I he guess, chose the background and he all chose the, props. the background. Correct. Because I guess they sort of had like little movie set options for your photo. And as you just noted, they also had prop choices, which explains why Pavel has a spinning rod <laughs> slung over his shoulder. Okay. Right. So again, we're in the jungle with some boulders and ferns <laughs> and a fishing rod. And I got to yes. award points simply for the fact that a fishing rod was even offered as, as absolutely a prop there. But I also got to I got to deduct a few of those points because there's no line on the reel. Like it's, no, no, it's clearly but, a pr- yeah, yeah. But it's still great. Okay, it yes. does leave me wondering two things. First, what were the other prop options? 
right? Like right. I, I'm there. I imagine there was a baseball bat and a football and maybe like a super cheesy skateboard. But what did Pavel decide against in order to <laughs> land on the the lineless fishing rod? And the second thing I'm wondering, I, like, did any other kids at all pick the fishing rod, or was Pavel the only one? I would love to know that. <laughs> I wondered that too. That's a bold and possibly stupid choice. Again, <laughs> think back to fifth grade. Fifth graders aren't the innocent angels that their parents want to imagine them being. Fifth graders are assholes. 100%. That's why South Park is brilliant. Like, that's the whole point of that show. Even money. I'm, I'm, I'm putting up even money that says he earned himself at least one new nickname and a black eye over this photo. But oh, Pavel, Pavel didn't care. Like, look at nope. that dude. He doesn't care. Nope. Nope. He's, he's owning it. He's like, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And... If I'm being honest, he was going to catch a beating with or without the fishing rod prop. It was going to happen, so go ahead. He might have defended himself with the fishing (laughs) rod after the photo uh, was released. Um, Yeah, so beyond the fishing rod, he's wearing corduroy overalls with a white polo shirt. And and that's there's not much to rip on there, okay? Fine. But, man, his haircut is straight up (laughs) Lloyd Christmas. And I mean, literally, he might have taken a photo of Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber to the cutting corral and said, hey, give me one of those. I think I mean it's spot <laughs> I mean, on, but it, but it's it's even worse. It's not just yeah, it is. the Lloyd it's, haircut. It's like that, but worse because uh, it looks like he just got back from a family vacation in in Mexico or Panama or something. Because he's got the two pieces of braided hair capped off yeah. with rasta beads. Like yes. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> the hair the hair beads are so glorious. They're so <laughs> glorious. Right. And he did. He, he told us he just came back from Mexico. And, you know, he came back to class like this makes Check me cool. Bro. Like I was just in. Yeah, I got Rasta beads in my. You don't have that. OK. And there's they're so fantastic. It's barely worth mentioning the friendship bracelet with a tag that's way too long. So like on his wrist on the fake rock that you'd see in the aquarium store, it's like a normal friendship bracelet <laughs> with a whole other friendship bracelet dangling from it. Anyway, he's like, I Pavel, have friends, th- I swear. I, I, yeah. And Pavel, this is classic. And I, we cannot tell you how happy we are that you sent it. But this is my takeaway. Okay. I think it's so rock star that you opted for the jungle motif and grab the fishing rod. And yep. your mom or dad let this fly. Okay. <laughs> Bravo. Because if I had been in this situation, just like left to my own fifth grade devices to choose my own school photo adventure. As soon as my mom got these, she'd have been like, are you serious? I can't put this shit in Grammy's Christmas card. <laughs> when are retakes? You're signing up for retakes. That's what oh, would happen. Nope. When you ball up like Pavel, there are no retakes. Remember, if you'd like to be voluntarily tortured on this show like Pavel, <laughs> uh, send your awkward photos to Ben at the because these are kind of the highlights of our existence. Okay. It's true. You know, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, nothing gives us more joy than being handed a photo and given license to essentially craft our own version of the story behind it. Yes, because we are all about giving you the backstory, which is what we do every week in our End of the Line segment, where we profile a particular lore, bait, or fly. This week, Miles is going to tell you about one that blends two of those categories together, and in doing so, makes the old new again. Fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. If you mention the Pistol Pete in the fly shop, good chance no one will know what you're talking about. 
If someone does, they'll either pretend they don't or shoot you a look reminiscent of that time you ripped a loud fart in church. Though widely available, Pistol Pete's are strangely absent in the fly scene. They're ignored or ridiculed. A joke at best. At worst, a defamation of an art form, an insult to delicate sensibilities. Calling the Pistol Pete a fly pattern isn't exactly accurate. They're more of a, a style, a, a product line of classic wet flies like woolly buggers, woolly worms, and renegades with small propeller blades added right behind the eye of the hook. The flies themselves are totally unremarkable. They're cheap, crappy, third world country tied flies, but the added hardware sets them apart. Pistol Pete's are distributed by a company called High Country Flies out of Southern Colorado. Story goes that Chris Furia was a fishy kid who liked to tie flies. He discovered that putting propeller blades turned his mediocre flies into fish-catching machines. Being an entrepreneurial lad, he started his own little cottage industry, selling them around his hometown of Trinidad, Colorado. He kept that up as a way to make some extra cash all the way through college. In 1990, High Country Flies Incorporated began large-scale production of various pistol peats in Mexico and established national distribution. Though I've never once seen a pistol peat in a fly fishing shop anywhere in the country, you can find their trout kits in Bass Pro Shops, Dick Sporting Goods, Walmart, and just about every big tackle store in the country. Most of those kits include a half dozen different propeller flies and three clear plastic casting bubbles so that they can be effectively used with a spinning rod. That pretty well explains what happened to this fly. See, purists love to argue about what counts as a fly. Some people will only use flies made of natural materials. Others will only use floating flies. They tied themselves. The parameters of purity are blurry and subjective, but a large segment of the fly fishing scene claim anything with a propeller or a spinning blade or a diving lip isn't a fly. It's a lure. And those same folks will point to the Pistol Pete as a relatively new and disgraceful bastardization of the glorious history of American fly fishing. But here's the thing. They're wrong. Because if you actually look into the early days of American fly fishing, the 1920s through the 1950s, fly lures were common. Back then, fly rods weren't the floppy graphite levers of judgment and division we know today. Fly rods were tools for delivering small, lightly weighted presentations. Up until the late 50s, many of the major tackle companies made miniature spinners, plugs, crankbaits, poppers, gurglers, and wigglers, all expressly designed for use on fly tackle. Sometime around 1960, these lures disappeared. I'm speculating here, but my best guess for why that happened has to do with fishing rod technology. Conventional rods in the early 20th century were far different than what we have today. Most were made of steel and topped with level wind reels. They weren't capable of accurately and effectively casting the small light lures that are sometimes necessary for fooling spooky river trout. In those days, fly rods were the only practical option for fishing small and delicate. After World War II, fiberglass rods and spinning reels emerged as the dominant gear of choice for medium to light fishing situations. Fiberglass rods are far lighter and more sensitive than steel and have infinitely more flex, which allows them to cast lighter lures. 
I theorized that the market for fly lures died around the same time because fly rods became unnecessary for everything but the lightest insect imitations. Right around the same time, fly fishing started splintering off into its own subculture. Once fly rods weren't strictly necessary as situationally effective fishing tools, using one became a statement, which then led into them becoming identifiers of a, a sort of weirdo counterculture in the 70s and 80s. And then, after a river runs through, it came out symbols of elitism, purity, and status in the 90s and early 2000s. And that brings us back to the Pistol Pete, which hit the national market right around the time Brad Pitt's hat went floating across movie theater screens. It was a bad time to try and market fly lures to the fly industry, which was asserting itself as totally separate from and morally superior to conventional tackle. The thousands of independent fly shops popping up around the country refused to carry anything as lowbrow as bait or lures in order to serve their rapidly growing, self-important, high-dollar niche. Pistol Pete's caught the hell out of fish, but no way hardcore fly anglers were going to publicly endorse or use their products at that time. So, High Country Flies made a smart pivot and started marketing their wares to spin fishermen, who continue to catch the hell out of fish on their crappy flies with bow propellers. They're probably the only fly company on the planet willing to suggest tipping their wares with corn if you're getting short strikes. But 21st century fly culture has moved on. Fly design has gone away from natural materials and delicate patterns. The contemporary fly scene is younger and less beholden to the norms and mores of the previous generation. Modern fly tires are racing each other to make flies that act more and more like lures. Most of the major fly companies now have at least one fly with a spinner blade. You can get flies that swim like jointed jerkbaits, flies that gurgle like jitterbugs, the fact is that fly lures are hot again, even though no one's calling them that. Pistol Pete's, however, are not part of that new wave of cool flies. And I think there are two reasons. First, as I've mentioned, Pistol Pete's are not particularly interesting from a fly tying perspective. They're low quality, old patterns that just have some hardware attached. They work, but they're just not that interesting. Second, High Country Flies threw their lot in with the conventional crowd 30 years ago. And even though modern fly design is getting closer and closer to gear fishing, the fly scene still clings to some sense of differentiation from and superiority to the gear scene. Don't cry for High Country, though. Considering their distribution in every major sporting goods chain in America, I think they made the better business choice. So that's it for this week. If your mission was to glean nothing but style tips from this episode, you've learned that under no circumstances should young boys put Rasta beads in their hair on family vacation. Never. Your skills make you look cooler than how you transport your fly rods. And if you've got enough dry flies on your hat to get you through an entire season, maybe you should uh, use them and try accessorizing by, I don't know, clipping hemos to your shirt every time you leave the house instead. <laughs> Oh, you heard the fashion tips here first. Remember to keep those sale bin items, bar nominations, memes that you have no idea would ever become theme of an entire episode, and whatever else <laughs> you want us to see or hear coming to bent at themeateater.com.
Yes, we love hearing from each and every one of you, and we love seeing those Degenerate Angler and Bent Podcast hashtags on the Instagram. Using them, remember, is the fastest way to get yourself a little sticker selection from us. It is. And uh, if you're looking for a rod vault to stick them on, <laughs> I might have one that I'd be willing to trade for a vintage beanbag chair, a copy of Young Einstein on Laserdisc, and also a Laserdisc player. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.